and what is happening with the church in that country. A country where the Christian faith uh, and God's word were both uh, very oppressed and it's awesome to hear about what is happening. Uh, So there's a special speaker coming out from China. He's on a bit of a tour with the Bible Society to celebrate their uh, centenary year. And he is going to be at Greenpoint Christian College next Saturday sharing with people on the Central Coast uh, who are interested in this. Um, I don't have a flyer with the details of the gentleman's name or the time. Michael dropped a a package off, but I think he included the wrong flyers in that package. So what I'm going to do is follow that up early this week and get an email out to all of you. Um, And if you are at all interested and you're not on email, then please call the church office and we'll have those details. Uh, But certainly wanted to let you know that that was coming up. If next Saturday afternoon you're available to get along, you might find that to be of great encouragement. Well, if you're joining us for the first time this morning. Welcome, it's great to have you here. We are looking at the moment at the character of Elijah, a man whose story is found in 1 Kings 17, 18 and 19. And two weeks ago, we, we looked at chapter 17, the making of a man of God. And you might recall, we spoke about, we learnt about King Ahab, the most evil king the most corrupt king in Israel's history and how he and his wicked wife Jezebel had turned the hearts of the people away from God. And God rose up a man to take on this evil king. And so Elijah went with a word of prophecy to the king that there would be no rain or dew for three years. And as we talked about, this means a complete economic shutdown. There would be famine, there would be death, and there indeed was. And at that moment, God then removes Elijah from this situation and takes him into hiding. And he took Elijah into the Kareth Ravine. And remember we spoke about that word Kareth, it means to cut down or to cut off. And as if God was cutting down Elijah, God had cut him off so that Elijah would have to learn how to become dependent upon God. And during this time, God provided for Elijah by sending ravens to bring him bread and meat. An interesting fact that Dewan learned is that a raven is the most selfish bird. Isn't that interesting? That would never share food with anyone. And that is the bird that God chose to use to bring food to Elijah. Just a nice little side note there. Thank you, D1. So God provided for Elijah. He met his need. And then after a period of time, the brook by which Elijah was staying at dries up and God takes Elijah to stay with a widow at a place called Zarephath. And there too, God continues to provide for the widow And for Elijah, she had a very small amount of flour and oil left, enough to bake one more loaf of bread before her and her son would die. Such was the situation of the famine. And God uses Elijah to bless this family. The widow's son dies, Elijah prays, and the son is raised to life. The first time in Scripture that we see somebody being raised to life. 
And what we spoke of that first week was that God could do so much more through Elijah because of what he had done in Elijah. And the application for us was to consider what God might be doing in us to prepare us for what he is going to do through us. Often when we go through difficult times of trial and challenge, we want to so quickly pray that away. But God may in fact be using that as a season of preparation as we learn to become more trusting and dependent on him. Last week, Terry spoke to us from chapter 18 as we considered which God do you serve? And in this chapter, there's the contrast of people serving the false gods and Elijah who served the one true God. And we heard that false gods promise what only the one true God can deliver. Terry spoke about two theological words called monotheism and polytheism. And monotheism is the understanding and practice that there is one God. And polytheism is the practice and understanding that there are multiple gods. And so Elijah addresses a people who are worshipping multiple gods. They wanted a little bit of Yahweh, but they also wanted a little bit of Baal. And as we considered our own lives, we realised that whilst we would subscribe to a monotheistic theology, the belief in one God, oftentimes we practise polytheism. And that is serving many gods. So yes, we serve God, Yahweh, but we also end up serving materialism and pursuits and pleasures of this world. And there was a challenge there for us, wasn't there? And Elijah's prophetic word to these people was quit wavering. Make a choice. If you believe in the one true God of Israel, worship him and him alone and pursue him with everything. But if you believe that these other gods are worth pursuing, then do whatever it takes to pursue them as well. And then there is the duel between the one true God, Yahweh, and the prophets of Baal. And you know the story. And Elijah prays out of a deep place of trust and dependence on Yahweh because of all that Yahweh has done in him. He is going to do great things through him. Elijah prays, and as you know, the fire comes down, the sacrifice is consumed, and God responds overwhelmingly. And, uh, and wins the day, and the prophets of Baal are killed. And that's where we find ourselves today. And so today, we are now in this moment where Elijah comes to God and prays for rain. I'm going to invite Anna to come and read that passage to us now. Thanks, Anna. Morning, church. Um, we have two Bible readings this morning, the first from the book of Kings and the second from the book of James. So the first reading is from 1 Kings, chapter 18, 
verses 41 to 46. And I'm going to be reading from the New Living Translation. Then Elijah said to Ahab, Go and enjoy a good meal, for I hear a mighty rainstorm coming. So Ahab prepared a feast. But Elijah climbed to the top of Mount Carmel and fell to the ground and prayed. Then he said to his servant, Go and look out toward the sea. The servant went and looked, but he returned to Elijah and said, I didn't see anything. Seven times Elijah told him to go and look, and seven times he went. Finally, the seventh time, his servant told him, I saw a little cloud about the size of a hand rising from the sea. Then Elijah shouted, Hurry to Ahab and tell him, Climb into your chariot and go back home. If you don't hurry, the rain will stop you. And sure enough, the sky was soon black with clouds. A heavy wind brought a terrific rainstorm, and Ahab left quickly for Jezreel. Now the Lord gave special strength to Elijah. He tucked his cloak into his belt and ran ahead of Ahab's chariot all the way to the entrance of Jezreel. And our second reading is from James, chapter 5, verses 17 to 18. Elijah was as human as we are, and yet when he prayed earnestly that no rain would fall, none fell for the next three and a half years. Then he prayed for rain, and down it poured. The grass turned green, and the crops began to grow again. This is the word of God. Of all the examples that James could have used to illustrate his point that he makes one verse earlier in chapter 5, verse 16, that the earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results, he chose this very story where we've just heard about in 1 Kings 18. This very story. So what can we glean from these five short verses about result-producing prayer? Allow me to offer some reflections and observations on this short passage before finally highlighting what I believe to be the critical message from this passage. The first thing we see is this sharp contrast between Ahab and Elijah. Verse 41, Then Elijah said to Ahab, Go get something to eat and drink, for I hear a mighty rainstorm coming. So Ahab went to eat and drink, but Elijah climbed to the top of Mount Carmel and bowed low to the ground and prayed with his face, between his knees. We see in this scene two men with very different priorities. Ahab goes to eat and drink, totally unappreciative of the grace of God. For three and a half years, his kingdom had faced a severe drought and famine covering the land. And Elijah gives him news that he hears the sound of a rainstorm coming. 
And for this king, this would be absolute music to his ears because his kingdom is about to have an economic turnaround. But rather than giving thanks to God, who has so clearly acted and demonstrated literally only moments, maybe minutes or hours ago, he has no concern to worship or to give praise to that God. His concern is for himself. And so he goes to eat, which Elijah seems to give him blessing to do. God was obviously not in Ahab's thoughts. On the other hand, Elijah knew that his work was not yet finished. So he climbs back up the mountain to pray. Two men. One man only cares for his own needs and is focused on the physical. The other man is concerned for the needs of others. So he goes to intercede for the people by praying for rain. And we see that he is focused on the spiritual. Two men. Missionary Amy Carmichael wrote, Every day we live, we choose whether to follow the way of Ahab or Elijah. If we put self first, whether in great things or small, we are like Ahab. And the habit grows with life till we end as Ahab ended. She goes on by adding, If we put things which concern the kingdom first, then life will be a climb. Every day we'll see us higher up the mountain, which is our Carmel. And in the end, even though a whirlwind does not carry us home, like it did with Elijah, either angels or our Lord himself will call us, meet him in the air far, far above mountaintops. We shall not be sorry then that we chose Carmel. The contrast between these two men couldn't be greater and it is a warning to us that the more self-focused we are, the further we can end up becoming like Ahab. And so the reminder for us is to remain focused and centred on God. The next thing to note is Elijah's physical posture, which is one of complete humility and dependence. As I was preparing this week, I got down on my knees in my office and tried to put my head between my knees just to experience what this posture feels like. It's a very vulnerable, it's a humiliating. Uh, there's a sense of complete inadequacy and dependence. When I'm standing, I'm, I'm kind of in control. Uh, but to be kneeling with my head in between my knees, I've got nothing. And that's what we see in Elijah. I'm sure that after the day that he'd been through, he was obviously emotionally and physically spent. I think that too has something to say to his posture. There's a sense here of 
of, of brokenness, of, of inadequacy, of reliance, of dependence upon God. And I think his almost fetal position highlights his sense of total reliance upon God, as well as a great concern for the people of Israel who had suffered through the drought. Even though they had drifted so far from God, they were still God's own people. Elijah was genuine. He was not being uh, religious or trying to impress God by falling to his knees. I think his kneeling expressed the authenticity of his heart. There is no right or wrong posture for how we should pray. Several different positions are seen in Scripture, be it standing, kneeling, prostrate, hands raised. And although our physical position or posture can and often helpfully does indicate what's happening in our heart, ultimately when we pray, it's not about our physical posture that counts. It's about what's in our hearts. It's about our motives. It's about our faith. That's what God's looking at. As physical people, we often get so consumed with exterior appearances. God's not interested in looking at that. And I often think, as I sit down here at the front with Andrew or Brendan, and I so want to be just lost in that moment of praise and worship to God, but I have to try and, you know, control my little boys... And I wonder about how many of you are getting frustrated by that or see that or maybe the girls dancing here is a distraction. And I wonder how you're coping with that. I wonder what's happening for you in that moment. I wonder if you're someone who just wants to get lost in that moment of worship and just, just praise and you find that some of these things, these children are distractions. And you know what I'm thinking? Going, at the end of the day... God doesn't care about your song. doesn't care about my song. He cares about my heart. He cares about your heart. And if all your heart is thinking about is how distracting these children are, you've lost it. You've missed the point of what worship is all about. Worship is about our heart. Lord, please help us to be a church who worships you from the heart. And may we celebrate and delight in the children that God has blessed us with and may he bring more. May he bless this church with families and children because of our heart motive to see his name praised and honoured. It's not about the words... It's not about the songs. It's not about even our experience of feeling in the moment. It's about our heart before God. That is what he is looking at, my friends. So when you come here on Sunday, by all means, wear a jacket if you like. I love wearing a jacket. But let's not kid ourselves. It's not about God. 
I wear a jacket to look nice for you. God doesn't care if I wear a jacket. Bring your heart. And bring a heart that is rend before God with humility and faith. And God will honour you and he will bless this church. Unlike Elijah's prayer at the altar, the answer to this prayer didn't come at once. Elijah sent his servant backwards and forwards to look at the Mediterranean Sea and report any indications of a storm gathering. And six times the servant came back and reported nothing. The prophet didn't give up. He prayed a seventh time and the servant saw a tiny cloud rising from the sea, the beginning of a storm. And this detail suggests that Elijah's prayer was characterised by persistence and trust. (coughs) Unlike many prayers in the Bible, as I've reflected on this one, I've found it interesting because there's no content. Most prayers in the Bible actually have the content, at least a snippet of the content of what was prayed. Here we have no words. No account of what Elijah prayed, just a note that he prayed. And whilst I'm sure words were used, I can't help but think that what the writer wants us to see and understand is that Elijah's posture before God was his prayer. Because he tells us the posture. He doesn't just say Elijah prayed. He said Elijah did this. prayer my friends because you only do that something's going on in here (laughs) prayer is not about how many words we can speak it's about the state of our hearts before an almighty God and we can pray in all kinds of different ways and means to suit the occasion. Long prayers, short prayers, prayers of celebration, prayers of petition, prayers for deliverance, reflective, silent, meditative prayers. God hears them all. Prayer is a blend of listening and speaking listening and speaking and an interesting detail in this passage when I first read this passage I said to Terry what on earth am I going to speak about this week five verses there's hardly anything there what's really interesting is in verse 41 we're told that Elijah hears the sound of a rainstorm coming right but then the servant runs six times and sees nothing What's going on here? Elijah is listening. He knows what God wants to do. He knows what God's going to do because he's listening. 
Prayer is both listening and speaking. It is a natural expression or an outworking of a heart, we just keep coming back to the heart, that wants to connect with and commune with and relate to its maker. Prayer is also one of the means God uses to draw us to himself, conform us to his will, and mould us to his image and purposes. Prayer reveals our dependence on the Lord and keeps us reliant and occupied with him. This not only glorifies the Lord, but it promotes and builds spiritual growth as our faith grows and we stay focused on God. Philip Yancey describes prayer as keeping company with God. I like that. It's a nice expression, isn't it? Keeping company with God. It's just such a relational term. Elijah's prayer for rain was indeed answered. He was also given special strength to run in front of Ahab's chariot all the way back to Jezreel, which I can tell you was a much further distance than the bay to bay. What is this interesting little detail here all about? Well, running before the king, I learned, indicated service to that king. The royal chariot in which the king would ride in was always escorted by a team of runners who were part of the palace guard. And it's interesting that God gives Elijah, through his prayer, the strength to do an honouring thing for this evil king. I don't think I have an answer for that, but I just find it another interesting observation in this passage. <laughs> it's kind of got grace just written all over it, doesn't it? It's just awesome. Well, that's where our reading for today ends. And whilst we've observed some useful points along the way, I think there's a less obvious but more important lesson to learn. You see, when we study great biblical characters like Elijah, our tendency is to look at them and seek to emulate their expression of faith. This is not a bad thing to do. In fact, it's exactly what the writer, what the writer of James tells us to do. You want to see prayer that brings rain from heaven? Look at Elijah. James highlights that Elijah was human, just like you and I. Elijah wasn't some spectacular spiritual hero or spiritual giant. He was indeed a remarkable man of faith. Remarkable. But he was nonetheless a man, human, broken, flawed, and sinful, just like you and I. And the point here, I believe, it's not about how great Elijah was or about how great 
you and I can be in our prayers. The point is we serve the same God. The point is we pray to the same God. We pray to the great unchangeable God. The God who Elijah prayed to is the same God that you and I pray to. The same God who listened and answered Elijah's prayer is the same God who listens and will answer our prayers. That's awesome. (laughs) When you're going through chemo, you need a God who answers prayer to pray to. When you're dealing with chronic sickness, you need a God who answers prayer to pray to. When your spouse dies and you find yourself alone in this world, or when your spouse walks out on you and you find yourself alone in this world, you need a God to pray to who answers prayer. And this is Elijah's story, and this is why James uses Elijah as an example. This is the God Elijah prayed to. This is the same God that you pray to. You see, it's easy to look at this example of Elijah's prayer and think that if we can just try to become more humble, more persistent, more expectant in our prayers, then maybe God will answer. And there's a temptation to preach that moralistic sermon that looks at Elijah and says, Elijah humbled himself. Elijah had great expectancy, he prayed seven times. So easy for us to look at that and say, I just need to learn to humble myself more. I just got to try harder. I got to build up more faith. And you know what the first word in that sentence is? I. (laughs) You've missed it. Because when I look at the bookends of 1 Kings chapter 18, this is cool. Let's look at it, Soph. The bookends of 1 Kings chapter 8. In verse 1, God says he's going to send rain. And then in verse 45... God sends the rain. It's got nothing to do with Elijah. It's got everything to do with God. And so when I look at the bookends of 1 Kings 18, it highlights to me that prayer is not about our performance. Prayer is about our dependence on God's performance. God acts, God wills, 
God delivered the bread and the meat through the birds. God provided the water in the brook. God kept the oil and flour reserved to keep replenishing. God raised the dead boy. God sent the fire to consume the altar, the sacrifice. God let the rain fall. It's all God. The great hero in this story is God. The great hero in every Bible story is God. And this is the wonderful news of the gospel. The Christian faith is not about what we do for God. It's all about what Jesus has done for us to make us acceptable before God. That's the gospel. It's not about you and what you can do to please God. It's about what God has done through his son Jesus to make you righteous before a holy God. That is good news. May our prayers reflect this understanding. Elijah was a faithful, humble, trusting and obedient servant. This is what God longs for in us. Disciples who are faithful, humble and obedient to his word and his will. May the Lord uplift you. May the Lord strengthen you. May the Lord empower you with his Holy Spirit so that each of us may be found to be that kind of disciple who is faithful, humble trusting and obedient. Amen. Well, today we're talking about prayer. We're talking about the centrality of prayer in our lives and we're talking about prayer as the means to come before a holy God. And what, a, what a, an appropriate day to launch and celebrate our special prayer room that so much time and effort has gone into. And I'm going to invite Sarah to come forward.